So, so wait a second. This is so good. 7.06 a.m. Um, hey, does Matt know how to get into our server? I don't know. I thought you were going to send him like, I don't know. I thought you were. Really? So then we, then we like, I messaged you and, and what was it? Nate's like, okay, here's the link. Send him this link. And then once you have the link, wait, we need to get him down to this channel. I can't do it. Face, you can do it. It was, it was a good, it was a good conversation. <laughs> it's all good. We figured it out. They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world out of the sky. <laughs> says, says the guy who just got banned from a game store. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everyone to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. In our series, Beyond the Veil... We interview writers, game designers, artists, and prominent members of the Mythos gaming niche. Today, we're joined with senior card game developer at Fantasy Flight Games and lead designer for Arkham Horror the Card Game, Matt Newman. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> we said we'd keep it under 10 seconds. Well, all right. <laughs> easiest, easiest interview ever. <laughs> We appreciate you making time to chat with us, Matt. We here at The Great Old Ones like to ask all of the people we interview on the show, what was your first foray into Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos? So I think I read some of the stories in high school, not like as part of the curriculum or anything, just like, you know, um, I was into horror uh, video games at the time. Um, I don't remember which stories, though. I Like, I think it was some of the classics, like, uh, Call of Cthulhu, Shadow Over the Innsmouth, the ones that I had like a passing uh, knowledge of later. Um, so I must have read them earlier. Um, but I didn't really start getting into Lovecraft until um, I actually played Arkham Horror for the first time, like the, the second edition board game. Um, and then I started really getting more into it, reading more of the stories, and uh, also playing Call of Cthulhu, the RPG. Um, and that sort of thing. So what was your first experience getting into gaming, Matt? Um, to be honest, I've sort of been doing it for like my entire life. Uh, it was kind of like one of those things that I would do when I was a kid. I would just make up little games for me and my friends to play. And they were usually pretty goofy and dumb. Um, we actually did a designer journal, uh, designer journal article on uh, Fantasy Flight's website a few months ago where I, I talked about one of the games that I made when I was in middle school. Um, that was like a real-time strategy game, but obviously not real-time because <laughs> it was on graph paper. <laughs> um, so I, I would do stuff like that. And my dad's a game designer, so uh, it kind of he, you know, I would watch him do his work and sort of join in. Um, and uh, then I started making like like modules for other games, uh, like custom scenarios for Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And that's what got me into uh, this job. So Arkham Horror the Card Game is in the middle of its fifth campaign cycle, and this campaign is the first to break away from the typical eight scenario structure. What was the philosophy behind this approach, and how does it change the approach and scenario design, if at all? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, did you say fifth? Is there something past the gathering? <laughs> oh, shit, never mind. Like that. Shut that out. <laughs> so, uh, actually the the sort of core concept for this campaign is one that I thought of pretty early on. Uh, like we outlined a bunch of different 
potential campaigns when we were working on the core set. And I really like this idea of having like, you know, when we go into the dreamlands, having some of the people be awake and some of them still be, uh, or sorry, some of them be asleep and some of them still be awake. Um, but at the time it was kind of like complex idea. Uh, we didn't want that to be like one of the early cycles. So we kind of shelved it for the time being. And then a few years later, uh, I start hearing a lot of people in the community uh, asking for shorter campaigns or like, you know, they really liked Guardians of the Abyss, which was like a two part campaign. So I was like, oh, maybe I can bring this idea back and uh, do like two short campaigns. And that way it still falls within the same release model. We don't have to like change that, but we can still do like two um, four part campaigns instead and then added like the interwoven story between them, that sort of thing. Over the course of the Dreamweaver's campaign, we've seen you expand on the possibilities of the Bonded and the Myriad mechanics, but I'm curious, Matt, what was the origin of these two mechanics? Uh, so, kind of, it's a little different for both of them. So, like, uh, as you probably as you probably uh, know, we, we design products in tandem, usually. Um, so, like, we'll be working ahead. We'll kind of have a vision for what the next, you know, product's going to be. We'll usually even start development for it while we're still finishing up the previous one. Um, so I had like those two cards in Before the Black Throne that ended up with the bonded keyword, right? Um, but at the, uh, at the time when I was working on them, they they just uh, they just had them set aside, had like the, so like Hollowed Marriage had the Soothing Melody set aside and um, and Occult Lexicon worked the same way. They were, they were just like two weird cards. Um, and Myriad was going to be like the thing for the dream eaters. And then as I was developing those cards, I was like, oh, I really like this. This mechanic is uh, really cool. Like you can do so much with it, uh, with what, you know, ended up being the bonded keyword. Um, so I, I put more and more and more of those into the dream eaters until finally I was like, all right, this just needs to be, you know, like a keyword and went back and uh, fixed the, the two cards from before the black throne so that they had the same thing going on. Um, so the the two the two uh, keywords sort of had different origins, but they both ended up in the same product as a result. Um, I hope that sort of answers the question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about the investigators? Um, how far ahead? Well, mm. not just in the design of the investigators, but have you kind of figured out what cl character class or faction you wanted each investigator to have for all the existing ones of the of the property from FFG? <laughs> Not a hundred percent, but we definitely mapped out a lot of it early on, uh, just so that we, you know, we wanted to make sure, like when we were designing the classes, um, that you know they would have a pretty equal spread, right, between all of them. Um, so we definitely mapped out a lot of them. I want to say we mapped out at least like thirty of them, um, but we didn't map out all of them, and we still don't have all of them mapped out per se, which is good because it means that we can stay flexible and change things on the fly. We're not like hundred percent set uh in the future um so yeah for this one i think i think most of them were kind of a little mapped out except for like mandy and tony with their deck building being a little uh new and fresh that was something that that was added in you know what i mean yeah what, what about last cycle um you had two mystics in the last cycle was there mm -hmm. a, a reason for that specifically that was entirely just because Marie was a promo investigator and we needed to find a place for her. Because, <laughs> um, like, 
we kept wanting to put her in earlier cycles and weren't able to for one reason to for one reason or another. Finally, when it came time to putting her in for this cycle, it was or for uh, Circle Undone, it was like, okay, we have two choices. We can either put her in instead of a different Mystic, which would be a huge shame because I really want Diana in this cycle, or we can put her in as a sixth investigator and have the Mystic pool be a little unbalanced, like it has one additional investigator. And I chose to go that route because I, I figured that um, the people who already had Marie from the Investigators of Arkham book um, would be a little uh, like, oh, well, I already have this character. I you know, I'm, I'm less excited for this cycle now. You know what I mean? That makes sense. And it fit in with the theme of the campaign, too, to have yeah. in there. Yeah, it did. And especially because her whole backstory is that she has like witch blood in her, you know, Um, so yeah, it it fit really well to have both of them in there. Matt, who is your favorite personal investigator from the Dream Eaters and why is it Luke? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm uh, I'm not sure. Like I so I I don't think he's my favorite investigator, period, but I, I have a lot of fun playing as Tommy. Um, cause I, I love in like MMOs playing like the support paladin kind of tanky class. Um, so Tommy's a lot of fun to, to play just like, like playing the hero, you know, like I'll save you. And then you step in the way and you take a hit for someone. It's a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, uh, is it Luke? I think, it, I think it is Luke. He's just so much fun to use as well like or to uh, not just to use but to build decks with you know i i i'm i'm a big fan of any investigator who forces you to go back and like reevaluate a bunch of cards so with luke it's it's fun to reevaluate all of the basically all of the events in seeker and mystic that deal with you know at your location because all of a sudden that that sentence like has a completely different meaning um, so like one of my favorite cards to play with Luke is seeking answers, which is a card that doesn't get played very often because with, with Luke, you can investigate a connecting location and then discover a clue at a, at a location connected to that location. So you can discover a clue like two locations away with that card, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Or even vantage point that card's sweet. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you can just hop into the gate box and grab a clue from any location. Yeah. So while we're on the subject of mystic investigators, Matt, I wanted to ask you, FFG recently revealed that Dexter Drake is making his debut in an upcoming novella. What was the inspiration behind his mechanics and his abilities, Matt? Uh, yeah, so Dexter, I think uh, the the article that announced him pretty much nailed it on the head where I wanted to get across this idea that he's, as an illusionist, as a magician, he's able to uh, pull sort of one thing uh, out of nowhere, right? Um, so it started off with just the idea of transforming one asset into another asset. Um, and over time that evolved into the ability that, that you see now where he's, he's able to discard one asset from play and replace it with a different asset, but it's gotta be a different one because no one would, no one would think it's a cool trick to turn a duck into a duck, right? It's gotta be like <laughs> something completely different. Um, but it's, what's interesting is that, that, that adds a lot of, uh, interesting deck builds too. Like you can, you can have a very uh, spell-heavy Dexter that does stuff with charges. You could have a Doom-heavy Dexter that puts out cards with Doom on them and then discards them. Um, you could even have a Dexter. Uh, well, 
actually, I can't go into the other kinds of dexters because you guys don't know what a deck building is. Ah, uh, snap. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> Caught yourself. That was good. Yeah. I. Whew. Yeah, so you, you kind of rolled my next question into your answer. I was going to ask, what are some what are some strategies that you see becoming popular with Dexter? Um, let's see. Without revealing what his deck building restrictions are, um, I think that uh, on his face, people are going to build decks that are kind of similar to like Akachi, where it's like an, it's just an asset heavy mystic. But there are some specific cards, there are some specific tricks that I really like using in him. Um, even some core set stables like Arcane Initiate are really good in Dexter because they're cheap, they can be replaced easily, and or like you can so like let's say you have a shriveling that's out of charges you can replace it with an arcane initiate for basically free arcane initiate enters play with a doom you use her a few times and then a couple turns later you turn her into something else and then you don't worry about that doom anymore um so you want to try to put uh cards in your deck that are transient you don't want like um like for example uh a card like saint hubert's key which is a fantastic card that a lot of mystics will play isn't maybe as good in Dexter because that's a card you want to stay in play forever. You know what I mean? Right, definitely. Or, you know, something that you get you get value out of right when it comes into play. So that, when, that, that when, kind of thing you want to... Sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, no, finish, finish your sentence. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, like, you just want to put stuff that uh, that is uh, specifically built to be temporary, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. When, yeah. you, when you design cards after an investigator has been released... Do you um, do you generally consider what investigator may want to specifically take a card, or do you just design a card, saying, "Okay, this is a cool concept for this card," and whoever takes it takes it? Um, I think it, kind of both. Like it depends on the card. Like there have definitely been times in the past where I've designed a card that's like, "Okay, this is definitely going to be for this future investigator," because I kind of have an idea for what that investigator is going to do already in my head. Um, and then there are other times where uh, I just design a card and then two years later, it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, Tony can take this. Well, that's interesting. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and usually it works out pretty well just because we've done such a good job, I think, of of uh, making the classes distinct and having the investigators fit into those five classes really well. Um, but other times there are just some uh, some things that can happen, <laughs> like uh a gunslinger Diana Stanley, which is a lot of fun, which is like surprisingly fun to play with and not intentional. <laughs> and what's your favorite player or encounter card from the new cycle? Hmm. Well, I've got to pick a card that's uh, that's either out or has been announced, right? <laughs> it's got to be the Corsairs, I think, but I'm biased. <laughs> um, you would be. You would be biased. <laughs> When when the Dream Eaters got announced, were you like, yes? Of course. Man of Lang. That's right. <laughs> I keep waiting. Um, I keep waiting. <laughs> I think uh, I'm a big fan of the Eye of Truth, which just got spoiled from the, uh, what is it, the final pack? Yeah, Weaver of the Cosmos. Uh, I don't know. Oh, sorry if the, if this is a spoiler, uh, spoiler-free channel. Oh, no, 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 no. Podcast. Okay, cool. No, we, we are... Uh actually entirely the opposite we usually like to spoil things and then midway midway through we just <laughs> smack a spoiler warning right yeah like a mid spoiler yeah i like that <laughs> 
so yeah, the eye, the eye of truth is one of my favorite ones. Um, that's the it's a skill test that you can commit to anything. It's got four wild icons on it. It's a level five seeker skill, and if you uh, commit it to a skill test on a treachery and you succeed, you add it to the uh, to the victory display along with the eye of truth, and it contributes its icons to all copies of that treasury that ever get drawn. Um, so that's a fun one, um, and I like the flavor text is a reference to enigma the band um which is cool uh what else um i'm also a fan of the uh dream diary and the essence of the dream which uh you guys haven't seen the payoff of that yet but it's a lot of fun um and my actual favorite card in the cycle has yet to be shown or spoiled so i guess i'll have to hold off on that one <laughs> yeah you i love that seekers <laughs> get those quest cards every Pretty much every cycle, they got like these cards that you can have like a side quest with, like solve the, mm-hmm. I forget what it is, solve the runes or something like that. And yeah, it's like well, it's like translate this or that or the other thing, or identify the you know identify the chem- the um the compound, the solution, that sort of thing. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. They're they're tough to design because usually we design a bunch of cards and then kind of assign levels to them later. Um, but for those, it's like no, they have to be high level. Um, and not only do they have to be high level, but they're hard to upgrade into. So they're kind of like, they have to be more powerful than their level would suggest. Otherwise, no one would play them. You know what I mean? True. They'd have to be worth it. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're tough. And some of them are, are easier to accomplish the, the task than others. Like I would say the Dream Diary is pretty easy to accomplish, but some of them are a lot harder. Do you have a favorite scenario from the campaign? Hmm. That's always a tough question. It's like Sophie's choice. <laughs> um, hmm. I think. I think. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite full scenario, but my favorite bit from the campaign is the um, when you're encountering. Uh, well, this was sort of revealed in our announcement article, so not too much of a spoiler. But when you encounter Nyarlathotep at the end of uh, um, where the gods dwell. Um, that sequence is really fun. Uh, and just like what you have to do in order to uh, beat that scenario is one of the coolest, I think, uh, Ancient One encounters. Uh, but as far as like full-fledged scenario, I think the search for Kadath is my favorite. Um, it took a lot of time to develop that scenario, like more time than every other scenario. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of moving pieces in that scenario. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of writing. Oh my goodness. I wrote more for that, more narrative for that scenario than I think any other scenario in the game. Yeah, no kidding. It seems like the double-page pamphlet for the campaign guides has been the has been the norm recently. <laughs> yeah, just wait until Weaver of the Cosmos and you can get a triple-page one. <laughs> what? A triple? <laughs> Soon it'll be you buy a book and it just comes with a few cards to play with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry, like technical issues i missed when he announced the new campaign that's coming out (laughs) you wish (laughs) i'm glad to have you back (laughs) the taboo list has been well received by the community at large Uh, patron of the show robert bat wanted to ask you matt um is there a possibility of a taboo deck um oh like a updated versions of the cards yeah i'm assuming that's what he's getting at Mm -hmm. so the tricky part with that is there's well there's two tricky parts besides like the the obvious like you know distribution and um like how uh 
like there's different ways that that could be done. Um, but the trickiest part for me is, uh, the taboo list is always meant to be this like ever changing document. Um, so, you know, one, one cycle, this one card might show up on it and then it might get removed from the taboo list or it might get moved to a different part of the taboo list or it might, or it might, um, it might change, uh, within this, you know, like there's one card that's maybe plus two experience. Maybe the next time we get around it's plus three because plus two wasn't enough, you know? Um, so I would worry about, uh, having to if it, especially if it's like printed cards i think that that would be a problem because those cards are always meant to be changing and like that's why we're not doing just a full-fledged errata for those cards because if it was a full-fledged errata then that's like a one and done sort of thing you know um but if i don't yeah i don't know uh it's interesting i'll, I'll definitely consider something like that but I, i'm not sure it would be a product or like a physical cards you know what i mean yeah i've seen other games do like pdf documents and then players can print them off themselves mm -hmm. i have seen other games do that before and uh usually to sort of mixed reception because i think some people will be very happy to print those off and other people will uh ignore it completely because they have to do work which i totally understand <laughs> yeah not to right. change the topic, but there's been a big demand in the community for uh, adult content in uh, <laughs> Horror, the card game. What, what are your thoughts on that? Has there? And no, I just wanted to see what people would say. <laughs> I I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah, I think when Nathan says people, he means just himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> FFG officially banned someone uh, forever. Uh, <laughs> Some some might say that all of the murder that happens is already kind of adult content. So how did you feel, Matt, when you realized that you were actually going to do Barkham Horror? Oh my god, uh, I I I can't quantify exactly how that experience went down. So basically, yeah, it was like we we did the announcement article right for the April Fool's joke, and um, which which was partially. Not a hundred percent my idea, but definitely like, uh, I we we had we had had uh, me and me and some of my friends and Kathleen uh, in particular had this like inside joke about Barkham. She'd even drawn up some of the investigators as dogs, and um and then they were like thinking of an April Fool's joke to do, and I ducked my head in, and I'm like Barkham horror, and they were like what, and I'm like yeah, and then they ran with it, <laughs> which I didn't expect them to do at all. I was just making a joke, um. And then uh, later, uh, Andrew Navarro, who was uh, head of studio at the time, pulled me aside and he was like, yeah, maybe, you know, who knows, maybe if it does really well, maybe if everyone's really excited for it, we'll uh, do something with it. And I was like, huh, yeah, but, you know, I didn't expect it to happen. <laughs> and then um, a few months later, like a, a, like a month or so after uh, the April Fool's article, he was like, yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> So start working on your dog puns. Holy crap! It's been like that long. I thought it was just a more recent thing. Well, uh, it didn't take as long as a normal scenario or a normal um, product would take for various reasons, but it still takes a really long time to develop uh, any any product for this game. Um, we had a lot of art pieces that needed to be edited by our graphic designers. And our, and our art directors, they did a fantastic job just like inserting dogs into pieces and whatnot. Um, we also did this thing where we we found 
uh, we, we sent out emails and got collected pictures of everyone's pets in the office so that we had like a repository of pet pictures to use. Wow. Um, so that took a while too. that, that took at least like a month, um, to collect and, and organize. Um, and then of course I had to design a scenario <laughs> from out of the blue that, and like, you know, in addition to my normal workload. So, um, we had to kind of move things around, make sure that, that I wasn't, you know, killing myself. <laughs> you just didn't throw it at Nicholas Corey. <laughs> right. No, actually we kept this product a secret from pretty much everyone. Not even our playtesters knew that, uh, this product was going to exist. So, so what did you tell all the playtesters? Uh, I, nothing. I told them that I had another product I was working on and we playtested it internally only. So they, my playtesters never even saw it. (laughs) Yeah. And then of course, when the announcement came on, they were like, Oh, that's what you were working on. (laughs) (laughs) So it's only a matter of time until we have Barkham horror, the keeper's nightmare. Is that, Oh God. (laughs) <laughs> it's the keeper's nightmare but i'm a dog <laughs> that's right oh no well, you're a dog i'm a cat i guess yeah. you'd, you'd have to play the cat role yeah oh you? yeah well i already am <laughs> so did your cat make the cut in the art sadly i don't think she did i didn't have any good pictures of her that that were usable which is uh unfortunate i think she did end up in one of the pieces but it's hard to tell we, we own a cat, other, too, uh, and it hasn't earned any money for us, so. <laughs> they usually don't. <laughs> uh, I think every other animal picture in uh, in the, in Barkham is a, someone's pet in the office. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Man. That was an interesting product to design for because we were playtesting not just a scenario, but we were playtesting the humor. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah. 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 Which I've never had to do before. <laughs> like at the end of this, I'm like, all right, what was funny? What did people laugh at? And what did people not laugh at? All right, let me change all the cards that people didn't <laughs> laugh at. You know, right. It's like that first time you do a stand up gig. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It kind of is. Except thankfully, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to like perform. I can just watch them play and just jot down notes. Yeah, you, you could have just borrowed my wife. I use her for a soundboard because she doesn't laugh at any of my jokes. <laughs> Apparently, I don't kind of either. Like hey, you know what? I, I, my cat is being very loud right now. I've been waiting to talk about this. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very excited for Barkham. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think at the end of the day, regardless of exactly what happens i think the fact that you all at ffg were able to take an idea that people seem jones about and it seems like you really listen to the people's excitement and interest in this alternate thing you know and i think Mm -hmm. that that translates to more more fans more people feeling uh validated in their interest so i think that that's all a positive thing i just hope it does well for you because i know i'm going to get several copies yeah, I hope so too. And I'm I'm really glad that that we were able to make it too and that it got so well received, you know? Cuz honestly, like I wasn't sure what the reaction was going to be, you know. I wasn't sure if this was going to be like a yes, this is exactly what I've always wanted for some reason or if it was going to be a like why did, you know, <laughs> like really, <laughs> you know. Um but yeah, people seem really pumped for it. I'm really pumped for it. I mean, everyone in the office was really excited for it. Um so 
clearly it was like a hit idea you know yeah i i really like that you're able to take the arkham files game and um poke fun at it yeah and that's always that's always tough because if you're if you have like a huge 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 property and you start to parody it 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 works it's fine um but you can never tell quite if you've reached that point of of like popularity that you can start to parody yourself because if you if you haven't then it just comes across as like I don't know. It, it has a different, you know, connotation, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are yeah. You wor- are you worried, Matt, that this might do too well, and then you'll have to just? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a comment that Nate French had, where he he he's reviewing the. We do like a peer review step, and he was reviewing the product, and he's like, "I hope this does so well that we just have to make Barkham horror products from now on." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm worried per se about that, but I do think. Um, I do think it's going to do well and that's great because the uh, proceeds are going to charity. So, Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And did, were you, was that <laughs> inspiration? Shut up. Oh my God. Me? My cat won't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she knew that we were talking about Barkham Horror and she wants to get her kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> so FFG some time ago, I think it was early 2018 released a masks of Nyarlathotep expansion for Eldritch Horror. Matt, have you, um, have you had any, uh, aspirations for taking, uh, classic Call of Cthulhu campaigns and, um, sp- taking your own spin into the LCG? Is that something you've considered? Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something I've considered. Um, masks would be like a huge undertaking. I'm sure. Um, I'm not even sure you could fit masks if you're not allowed to into an eight cycle campaign, <laughs> but, um, or sorry, eight scenario campaign. Um, for me though, I, I like telling stories myself and I fancy myself a writer. So, uh, I, I've kind of gravitated towards just coming up with my own stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely something I've thought about and it's definitely something that I think would be cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and just real quick, right before you say that cool idea, you did say uh, that you've been creating the stories yourself, etc. And can I just say that I would not be 100% like completely into this game if it weren't for the incredible stories and devotion from you and your team. So oh, thank you. Once again, thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, and yeah, and they've gotten more, I think, um, what's the word? Not extensive, but like they've, they've become more stories Spidery. over time. Spidery. They have become more spidery recently. Yeah, intricate. I, I guess just like they've become more uh, actual stories. Like um, we didn't have a lot of space in uh, in the core game for uh, for like stories. Like I'm sure you noticed that those were a lot shorter. Um, and it was also kind of like we weren't sure exactly how many people would connect with the storytelling aspect of the game. And clearly people did. And we've kind of built on that more and more and more over time. And I, I don't think I think it was really the Carcosa cycle where it started really becoming um, a storytelling game in and of itself, you know? Right. Yeah, I would imagine it's there's only so much that you can do with basically doing a direct sequel to Dunwich. As you're, yeah. You know, you're kind of yeah. forced to take a lot of that source material for what it is. Yeah, and, and I think we did a cool job of of expanding on on that story. Um, but it, you know, that one was sort of written in tandem with the core set too, so it, it carried over a lot of the same philosophies that the core set did. 
Um, but once we started getting into some of the later cycles, it really became more of uh, uh, just like more of a narrative. You know what I mean? Like there's characters and there's story arcs and there's there's uh, <laughs> and there's my cat whining in the background. <laughs> yeah, there's mysterious black cats who uh, who knows what uh, what they're about. <laughs> so, what's your favorite part of designing an Arkham scenario, Matt? Is it writing the story? Is it uh, designing the mechanics around this uh, around the scenario, or is it kind of a mixture of the two? I, I think my favorite aspect is actually just designing the player cards. To be honest, um, not that I don't love designing the scenario and writing the story as well, but those parts take uh, a lot more pre-planning and are a lot more stressful, I think, than the player cards. The player cards, I usually just uh, have fun banging out all kinds of ideas over the course of a few weeks. And, um, and it's always fun getting to give uh, the players new tools and seeing how they use them. You know what I mean? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the investigators in particular are probably the most fun, not the easiest by any means, but the most fun to develop. Because it's like it's like coming up with a completely new um, play style every time, you know? Yeah, definitely. Do you, do you ever uh, use scenario mechanics to inspire yourself for player cards? It feels like um, um, Patrice was, mm. was kind of inspired by the... Uh, Brown Jenkin mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that one. Um, actually, no. Patrice is sort of a, a, a retake on a Lord of the Rings design that I did when I, back when I was designing for Lord of the Rings. There was a character named Aristor whose whole thing was he, he got a new fresh hand every, every game. Um, so I was like, all right, well, what would that look like in Arkham? You know, what class would that be? And what, what character would that be? And it ended up fitting in Patrice. Um, and it's even better in Arkham because you can commit cards to skill tests, which you can't do in Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, yeah, there have been times where a player card, not usually an investigator, but a player card has been inspired by something that came out of a scenario. Or usually it's something that happens when I'm playing a scenario. Like I'll, I'll be playing... Uh, playtesting a scenario and something will happen. I'm like, oh man, it'd be really cool if there was a player card that could counter that, you know? And then I'll go back and add that card. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrice's uh, mechanic is is so much fun to play with. I'm surprised you didn't pick her as your favorite for the for this cycle. I, like I said before, it's it's hard to choose a favorite. They're all of the ones yeah. in the cycle are a lot of fun. Like I, I'm also a huge fan of Mandy. Um, and Mandy's another character who, like I said before, forces you to reevaluate a bunch of cards because any card with search in the box now is totally <laughs> different when you're playing with Mandy. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm also I'm particularly proud of how she uh, she brings back a lot of cards that were at the time like you would only play this with Daisy, like Old Book of Lore. You're not going to play that as as like Roland or joe diamond probably you, your hands are too valuable for guns and stuff um but for mandy it's like suddenly old book of lore is a great mandy card and a great daisy card for two completely different reasons and that's really cool to me do you um do you ever feel that the because the investigators seem to be getting more complex which is mm -hmm. i think really cool for the game but do you ever feel like there's a, a limit or a threshold that maybe 
could spook away some new players if, if you go too far with the complexity. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think, I hope that we've done a good job of making sure that in every expansion, there's some complex investigators for your veteran players and some simple ones as well. Like I would say Tommy is kind of on the, on the lower end of simplicity. Like his only ability is when one of your assets are defeated, you get money back. That's, that's pretty much it. So he's, he's pretty simple. He's maybe a little harder to play or to pilot, but in terms of like the text on the card, um, but yeah, like Tony is a lot more complex. There's a bit more moving parts, um, and then you know, same thing. If you look at if you look back at the previous cycle, you've got like Preston, who's pretty complex, and then Rita's not that complex, uh, like pretty straightforward, right? Um, so hopefully, hopefully, we do a good job of providing like a smattering of complexity for players. And there's definitely a limit. Like there's definitely a cap where at a certain point. You just have to go back and, you know, scrap a design because it's way too complicated. Especially because those those investigator cards can only fit so much text. <laughs> True. So um, the Lovecraftia's mythos, you know, it seems that the game has barely even touched the surface on the amount of source material that you could you could draw from. Are there um, are there other aspects of the mythos that you that you want to explore at some point within? the Arkhamor LCG? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I probably shouldn't name anything specific because people will extrapolate too much, but... Um, you can totally text me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of classic stories that we haven't touched upon yet, right? Um, and there's also a lot of... Uh, there's also a lot of enemies and ancient ones that we haven't really delved into yet, like I've been saving for, for later. Um... But um, yeah, hopefully this game continues long enough that we can hit all of them. Um, um, I also like making up my own stuff and adding to, essentially adding to the mythos, which I think is really cool because the Cthulhu mythos, it's not just Lovecraft. It's uh, a ton of different authors who have pooled their, their stories together purposely, sort of like taking each other's ideas and building upon them um, to create this weird like web of... Uh, of you know story ownership right uh where like one author will put this tome into his story and then lovecraft will put it into his story too and then another author will do the same thing and um so i hope that the things that we've added kind of feel like that as well yeah definitely like I, would, I would definitely yeah. agree yeah um, like they're well integrated into the mythos and i'd like to keep doing that as well yeah we had an interview with dennis detwiller a few months ago and he uh he mentioned that he feels that the the Lovecraftian mythos has definitely been co-opted by the right groups of people, and that you know it seems to be seems to be that you know everyone touches on the right aspects of the mythos. Um, mm -hmm. To kind of uh, depart from the LCG and kind of go into mythos gaming as a whole, Matt, we um, we kind of like to talk about uh, flaws that a lot of other Lovecraftian games seem to have with conveying the sense of uh cosmic horror um what are what are some pitfalls that you feel in games um in lovecraftian games um well i can't really talk about any other games specifically and i'm not gonna like i'm not here to like riff on other people's designs or anything like that um what i will say and and i i also won't say that 
you know, straying from like the classic Lovecraft formula is somehow wrong because there are pros to going in a completely different direction as well. Uh, and we have certainly in some points too. Um, so, but what I, what, what I will say is that cosmic horror, uh, is or like Lovecraft's style of horror is defined by this feeling that, um, <laughs> Oh my God, my cat is so loud. I'm very sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, this feeling that we are ultimately insignificant in the universe, that there are so much grander things at work that we can't possibly even comprehend. And the moment that we even try to comprehend it, um, it just boggles our mind and uh, it forces us to reevaluate our, our worth. You know what I mean? And, and the meaning of our existence. Um, that's to me what like is the, the backbone of cosmic horror. Um, but then from there, it can take many different angles. And I don't think there's a wrong angle for it to take. It could be like, oh, no, these crazy aliens exist. Um, I'm, I'm going to go mad and, and write, you know, a treatise on, you know, it, <laughs> like the experience that I had. Or there's, oh, no, these crazy aliens exist. I better shoot one with my shotgun. And that's also fun from a completely different angle. Um, I think the trick is to like know what your audience is, uh, what you what what the point that you're trying to get across, and then work from there. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to like put you in a position <laughs> like that, but uh, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to hear, um, you know, what what game designers have to think about, you know, translating that sort of feeling, you know, into into their games. Um, yeah. And I feel I think uh, yeah does that really particularly well is you know you've you've kind of developed this uh, like pulp horror niche within the Arkham files. And I think, I think mm. especially the LCG really executes that really well. Thank you. And I, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's both in the mechanics and in the storytelling as well. Yeah. I think one of the tricks is you need to make enemies feel almost a little too threatening. Uh, not in, in I don't mean that in like a difficulty sense where it's like, oh man, this one enemy is going to kill me. But like the mechanics of the game uh, in Arkham LCG, for example, um, they make it possible for an enemy to pin you. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Like that was really important from day one in this game that an enemy can halt your progress to the point of game over if you're unable to uh, push through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that every enemy will. And in fact, it very, very rarely happens. But just the, the knowledge that it could happen. If you're Daisy with, you know, one combat or two combat and an enemy shows up and it's got four fight and you don't have a weapon and Roland is in a different room, you might just lose all your actions and then get attacked. And then that might just happen until you die. Um, and just the, the fact that that's possible, no matter how, no matter what investigator you're playing, an enemy could be strong enough to just pin you and uh, completely shut you down. Um, If that weren't possible, then I I think it would be, uh, it would feel more trivial, like, oh yeah, there's enemies, but I'll just, you know, walk past them or shoot them or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And to kind of go on that point too, you've, um, you know, in the recent, recent two revealing articles, you've, you've gone a totally different direction with the way that you've designed the ancient ones coming up in the 
upcoming mm. uh, scenarios. And it's really interesting to see, you know, that you've taken the idea of like a boss enemy and translated it over several cards and it presents an entirely new um, way to look at boss enemies. What was some, um, are you able to kind of go into a little bit of the philosophy behind why you wanted to design those cards the way they're designed or? Sure. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me spoiling or, you know, talking about stuff that isn't released. Yeah, um, just one second. Um, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. <laughs> um, so for Nyarlathotep, um, I really wanted to um, sort of get across the sense that he's very cunning um, and um, maybe not mischievous isn't the right word to use, but deceptive and, and uh, intelligent. Like most ancient ones are sort of just this force of nature. Um, they just are. And when you encounter them, the the power that you feel is something that'll um bring you to your knees but with narlathotep it's more that he's 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 in your mind he's tricky um so and we were already bringing back hidden cards right so it felt like this natural fit to put hidden on an enemy and see how that would function within the the grander scheme of the uh, of the of the scenario and I, I won't go into further detail about like how he's defeated because the the whole point of that scenario and the reason why i like it so much is that the the puzzle of the scenario is figuring out how you defeat him which i think is really cool it is really cool um it seems yeah. like you kind of experimented with that idea with patrice's weakness too yeah 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 like actually patrice's weakness came first and then later on it was like oh i could i could actually add this to uh to Nyarlathotep as well. Um, and then for um, for uh, Atlech Nacho, who I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, so I apologize for any Lovecraft buffs out I there. Think it's Atlech Nachos. <laughs> Nachos. <laughs> we, so in, in the office, we literally just call her Spider Boss because <laughs> that's easier and gets the point across. Uh, well, because we, we had to, we had to because. Uh, when we're talking with um, like an artist or a graphic designer or um, I don't mean to call it those two departments specifically or like an executive or someone who doesn't know uh, the scenario very well. And I'm like, yeah, so I'd latch and they're like, what the, what are you talking about? What is that? So I just like, oh, it's a giant spider, spider boss. Yeah. It oh, almost okay. sounds like you're like, you know, choking on spit or something. Yeah. When you were saying that, I just imagined the entire art department at FFG just put down their pencils and pens and stylus for their computer and be like, did he just call out the art department? And then they'll like form this like condo line of eight. No, I think they're fine. <laughs> they're gonna shove it in my in my room and just like cross their arms and be like, you said no no they're 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 fantastic. Um what was I gonna say? Uh right. So for Spider Boss, I just I really wanted to get uh, across this sense of scale, which obviously all of a lot of the ancient ones are big. It's not to say that like Atlas Nacha is like the biggest ancient one we've ever fought, because that's not necessarily true. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's just like we've never had the opportunity to to do something like this before. Um, and I I started mapping out like, okay, what would it look like if it was the art was physically spread across multiple cards, and like what how could you fight that? Um, and then I sort of like arranged uh, 
the locations in a circle and I put all the different enemies like, you know, in a, in a formation so that it looked like, uh, like a giant monster was in the middle of this circle of locations. And then I started moving, like I basically sat there for like an hour, just physically moving cards around. I probably looked like an idiot while I was doing it. And then I, and then I was like, Oh my God. And then I like ran back into my room, like grabbed like blank cards and like drew a giant spider on it like with like my awful, awful artwork uh it's like it literally just looked like a circle with legs coming off of it right and then i like ran into uh my my boss's office and i like slammed the cards on the table i'm like check this out it's it's a giant spider and it moves around is yeah <laughs> i like how there was that pause and silence after you were like check this out and then there's nothing <laughs> and then your boss is looking at it going the fuck is gonna go <laughs> well like it, it's pretty rare that we're able to do something uh something funky like that or like spreading the art across multiple cards so i wanted to it was definitely something like we had to coordinate with all of the different disciplines like art had to be on board the person who actually was drawing the art had to be on board the graphic design uh had to be on board because we also like we also like flipped the template for the enemy card like vertically so um the the bottom legs have like the title on the bottom instead of the top and everything like that. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. You can see it in the in the announcement article, but basically the the enemy template is flip flopped uh, for some of the cards. And then of course there's the middle card that's just artwork and nothing else. Um, and I have to say that my wife is terribly arachnophobic, so thank you so much for doing this. Um, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, she will want to thank you as well once I show her in person. <laughs> I, I I don't think anything's gonna beat the the orderly with the spiders coming out of his mouth. Oh god, that art is so great. <laughs> Danny Schaefer wrote the art uh, the art brief for that card, and as soon as I read it, I was like, "Okay, yep, good. All right, here you can take this one." <laughs> I'm done because I'm also pretty arachnophobic and it actually kind of helps because you can channel that fear when you're uh, when you're writing horror. It I think it's stronger if you're scared of the thing yourself. Um, so, yeah, I tend to the mon- any monster that I design tends to be insect like because ugh, yeah, really, I hate insects really. <laughs> with the fuzzy legs and everything. Oh, God, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. Like why the, why would you like say that out loud? Like molars in it, like what? The? <laughs> like like fangs are fine, but molars are just ugh. yeah yeah. Oh, it's just got teeth, and then the art comes in, and we're like, oh, <laughs> it has, it's not the teeth that we expected. Teeth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, I, I I don't have a perfect segue for this, but if. Everyone knows me well enough to know that I will segue the crap out of anybody anyway. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's segue. fascinating working at a large game store because I get to tell my customers daily that I talk to that are looking for a co-op experience, that are looking for a story-driven experience, and those are both on the rise for hobbies and gamers. Mm-hmm. I get to say there's 30,000 games in this building, and if they all were to burst into flames... I would A, be out of a job, except if Arkham Horror, the card gamer, still exists, I would be 100% happy. And they just look at it like they're holding the, the you know, some kind of forgotten tablet. It will make them like 
immortal. And they're like, I have to get this game. It's great. But I get people coming in all the time, like I did yesterday for a busy day. And they're telling me about which expansions they're on. And I'm like, there's so much more. I'm really excited. Hey, there's these great podcasts. And there's also my, my one that's weird. And they're like, LOL. And they listen, you know, and I've had really great feedback, but you know, more and more people that have been playing LCGs talk to me about how Lord of the Rings is fantastic and rich and covers so much ground. And ultimately it felt like they had to pigeonhole themselves a little bit into just making a deck that was going to crush the scenario and they couldn't experiment as much. And uh, of course I'm playing Marvel champions, Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror simultaneously because I don't have enough <laughs> on my plate. But I, you know, I, I reflected with that and I was like, you know, yeah, the neat thing I think about Arkham that I keep coming back to is the fact that, um, you know, Matt is able to stretch and change things up and constantly reinvent the wheel of sorts, but also keep it familiar in a way. And every time there's a new cycle, he can kind of reset the, the difficulty level of sorts and, and have it ramp again. But I haven't felt... Uh, and they mentioned this to the people I talked to, but I haven't felt that you, you have to stop making decks that are fun or you don't know what they're going to do. And you can just sit there and play them and enjoy them for all their weird combos and, uh, you know, cards that you put in there and still have a good time without having to feel like you just have to make a, a deck that will beat the scenario. And I think ultimately mm. that's a point of, of major uh, winning on your part is that if you can make it fun, but also make it competitive and, and, and coming out of the gate, having four different levels of, of difficulty was very mm -hmm. smart too. Yeah, that definitely helps a lot. Yeah. First of all, thank you for, for plugging my game so much in your store. That's, that's really awesome. Um, like and, and, to cultist, thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, as far as the, as far as the, uh, what you were talking about um, with the decks, I think like one of the strengths of Arkham is that the story proceeds whether you fail or succeed. Um, and yeah, like it, you'd prefer to succeed most of the time, I, I would assume, but you still get this feeling like the plot is progressing regardless. So you don't feel quite as pressured, I think, to you know just stick with the ultimate the deck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas with uh. Lord of the Rings and, you know, pretty much every other or like most other co-op games on the market. Um, there's a few other games that that, you know, you'll proceed the story even if you fail. Um, but like video games too, uh, like. Most like 99 percent of video games, uh, if you if you fail a level, you got to restart the level. Um, and it's funny. It's it's really like the only piece of media that if you aren't good at it, you can't consume the whole thing. Right. Um, like you'll never get to see the end of a video game if you if you just are bad at it, <laughs> unless you like just watch the ending online or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is maybe that's where some of that pressure comes from. Like I, I have to beat this because I want to I want to be able to play the next scenario, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious too because there's what I, what I really like about this game particularly is that there's so many different variants on how to change the difficulty like not not mm -hmm. you change the chaos bag but you could you could follow the taboo list you could play an investigator you've never played before you can play scenarios you've never played before and there's there's so much right. 
There's so much you can use. You can use ultimatums. Yeah, exactly. Which <laughs> I do not recommend playing Rita with zero experience and going through. The- <laughs> <laughs> I got I got to Essex County and then I didn't. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, is there um, is there anything you want to say about modulating difficulty in games, um, specifically in Arkham, and what you? Uh, some of the struggles that you experience when when designing scenarios um i guess the the, uh, one thing i would say is i'm i'm a big proponent of customizing your game and adding house rules and changing the difficulty to suit your your particular play group so uh i would i would even go so far as to say like we we provide four uh difficulty levels right and then we we added all kinds of things on top of that as well but players should feel free to experiment and, you know, make up their own difficulty levels or change, you know, whatever they need to change to, to have fun. Um, I think that uh, part of what's cool about a tabletop game is that you can do that. Um, you, you don't have to, like, you know, write up a whole script or mod for your for your game. You can just, like, go and reach into the bag and pull a token out if you don't like that token. Um, and I'm I'm actually a big proponent of that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, that being said, yeah, it, it definitely does uh, make playtesting sometimes difficult. Uh, for me, what I what uh, what I've learned to do is get a read on my individual playtesters and get a sense of like how what difficulty level do they usually play on when they play the game and how how um how skilled are they what how crazy are their decks that they're building that sort of thing um because sometimes you'll get feedback from one group that says this is the hardest scenario i've ever played bar none and another group will say uh yeah i I breezed right through this scenario it wasn't even a challenge and as a developer you have to take those two completely different pieces of feedback and try to figure out like how is this possible is it just that the scenario is really swingy or is this one group uh you know uh just that much uh more veteran player or advanced player than this other group or uh did one group play it wrong which which group you know what i mean that sort of thing right right absolutely yeah Um, so generally speaking i'm developing scenarios for standard mode because that's got the word standard in it um but sometimes, sometimes I just have to remind playtesters that, uh, like, if you're brand new, then you might find this very challenging. Uh, you, maybe you should play on easy. And if you're a veteran player, then maybe you should be playing on hard or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. In order to help balance out that feedback. So you're probably the most veteran player of, you know, literally anyone else. Uh, Matt, do you have any personal <laughs> uh, war stories to share with us? <laughs> Well, so veteran player, yeah, maybe, but I wouldn't say that I'm really good. <laughs> I'm actually like notoriously bad because um, I'm I'm usually like trying to do wacky stuff, and I usually get I usually like get myself into a corner and then die or something. Um, but uh, war stories. Um, I mean, there's some classic tales from when we were first developing the core set. Like there was the time that uh, there was the time that. Uh, I don't remember if it was me or Nate. I think it was me. I I, uh, I killed my boss with a medical textbook. Like I was playing Daisy and he was hurt and I I used it on him twice and like killed him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and he was like, 
All right. <laughs> Did he get like some strict deadline or what prompted this slaying? With, uh, with I was trying to heal him, but, you know, medical textbook. Matt, you can drop this shit, okay? We're all talking <laughs> right now. There's no chance he's going to listen to this. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, I think there was a... Oh, yeah. There was a time that we were playtesting uh, Thousand Shapes of Horror. And have you guys played that scenario yet? Yeah, I have. I purchased okay. it. So, um, spoilers. Um, you know when you get to the final act and you're running down the staircase, right? Yep. You're being chased by the unnameable. And it's just get to the bottom of the steps. That's all you have to do. Uh, well, in, in an early design, the, um, the cards that made the steps repeat was not a... Uh, like add this card to the victory display afterwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we we got locked in a loop where, uh, for whatever reason, we drew. I think it was like eight of them in a row or something like that. Um, and, you know, each time right after we went down one set of staircase, so it, it wasn't even like benefiting us at all. It was just, oh, um, and. Uh, and finally, so finally, I was like, okay, here's here's what we'll do. I was playing Tommy, and I was like, I'll just take I'll take the unnameable, and you guys just go, just just run, and I'll just stay behind, and I'll just tank it, because there was like the unnameable and like three other enemies. There was like a bunch of ghouls, and um, and it was just a uh, you know we were being overwhelmed. So I like I did like a level two taunt and like grabbed them all, and they all just ran, and I sacrificed myself <laughs> <laughs> for for the greater good. And, uh, good. Yeah, and then you know, finally, they stopped drawing the card that makes it repeat. All right, so yeah. man, if you would uh, humor us <laughs> for a little trivia time, that would uh, uh yeah, trivia time. I like trivia time. This is usually where I cue up the music. Uh, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and take it away? <laughs> uh, uh, hold on, uh, I was being not myself and being polite by not interrupting uh, a little <laughs> bit ago. And when Matt had said something along the lines of, I do encourage people to make their own mm. variants and make it whatever difficulty they want. I just imagine like a bunch of people around a chaos bag. All right, here's the deal. You pull a token, you drink. No matter what it is, you drink. If it's negative, it's <laughs> oh, positive, goodness. you get drunk. I, All right, I, first card. I, Everybody drink. I do not, I do not condone this drinking game. That's no, water. That makes I'm talking about drinking water for hydration. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, there's a game that we sell called uh, Flux. I don't know yeah. if anybody knows know Flux. Flux. And there's a drinking Classic. Flux. And I talked to Andrew Looney when he stopped by the store one time, and he was like, "Yeah, I mean, for a legal disclaimer, we have to put on the package that we highly and uh, we highly recommend people drink water while playing the game." <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me, and I was like, "Yeah, totally hydration." All right, uh, let's do this thing. So today I have, oh wait, can we queue up music now? Are we queuing up again? No, it's queued up. <laughs> Cue it to, okay. So uh, I have several questions here and um, actually I got a really nice letter in the mail from uh, Canada, from Red Deer Canada, uh, along with the check. So um, what may seem like a very non-biased quiz uh, will present itself. Here we go. In uh, your favorite card and mine called Eldritch Inspiration, there are uh, at least four different things on the ground in front of the 
woman with glowing eyes. Uh, who can name at least two of those? Oh, sheesh. This is going to be a tough one because I did not write this art brief. It's a like cup and a knife. Is it like uh, is it like uh, the four classic uh, elemental uh, witchcraft items? So is it like, um, yeah, like a cup, a knife, um, a candle, and a like incense burner? I'm not gonna lie to you. I just wanted to hear what Matt said for the four elemental things. I- I'm gonna actually <laughs> give points to Mister Red Deer. I mean, mm. uh, Cameron. Uh, sorry, Lang. Uh, <laughs> we'll go with cup. It does look to be some kind of a mini cauldron of blood, but I will accept. Of course, uh, it's got blood. So one point for land. Of course, it's blood. <laughs> of course, it's blood. Um, I wasn't sure if you knew about this investigator, <laughs> Calvin Wright, who has I've heard of him, zero yeah. for all stats. <laughs> um, he actually has two types for his uh, sub subtype. Um, can you name what those are? Who, me? Uh, anybody playing the quiz. Oh, he's a cursed drifter. Duh. <laughs> oh, shit, <Wow>. sir. Easy. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> I just feel like this went up a notch. <laughs> Man, I feel like vacing all our trivia games now. Well, I, I, if, you're, if you're doing text on cards, I got you guys. Oh, don't worry. We aren't. <laughs> Okay, um, in your uh, obligatory, looks like a Japanese schoolgirl outfit here for Truth From Fiction, um, what are the pips on that card? Two intellect icons? Point. Dang, look at this dead wow. heat. Well, when you said pips, I thought you meant the level pips. Yeah, no, I misspeak all the time, but to <laughs> Nate's benefit, he, uh, he worked out from that. Um, research librarian. Uh, he has a health and a sanity value. What are those values? One and two. One and one. Ah, oh, I think you're right. Uh, technically, even though you kind of gave a bow to Nate, you were correct, Matt. Oh, he's one and one. Okay, cool. Sweet. It's it's fairly <laughs> surreal to <laughs> to have uh, these comments. It's kind of funny. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Doing great. Is it need to take a break? Maybe get some Mountain Dew or take a nap. Uh, we're going into the home stretch. Uh, pretty close game. Matt Newman at two, Nate at one, Lang at one. All right. Uh, hot streak. Gain ten resources. I win again. Sorry, sugar. It's just not your night. What hand does she win with? Oh, Four is it kind of aces? A full house. Let's assume those are both wrong. Uh, any other guesses from the peanut gallery? Is it the dead man's hand? I know that shows up in an art piece, but I don't think it's that piece. I think, oh uh, no, that shows up in the Clover Club act card. Dang it. Yeah, I love that scenario. I thought I'd tell you I dressed up for that one and we had whiskey and uh, I put LaBella <laughs> Luna outside my apartment. Yeah, yeah, I think you showed me a picture of that. <laughs> seen a, a female without clothes. Um, so the hand that was uh, the winning hand in Hot Streak is in fact a royal flush of diamonds. Oh Nate, a mental nod to you for saying the suit, but that's all I'm giving you. All right, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Um, we also have the high roller. The, the higher the stakes, the better is luck. What are the icons on this card? Intellect and agility. I think it's just an intellect icon. Both of you had said things out loud. 
<laughs> I don't remember. I don't even remember if this card had icons. Ooh, wow. Three different answers. Uh, in fact, it is intellect and fight for high roller. I guess fight. he's got to get his scuffle okay. when he gets uh, busted. <laughs> uh, and your favorite myriad um, rogue card called Easy Mark and mine. Uh, there are some weird hooded figures that look like they're the the weakness for Rita coming in from the, uh, I, I guess, sunset background. Um, what is the person doing? while they are coming into the library. He's inspecting something with a magnifying glass. That is absolutely correct. I think he wrote the art prompt for that. I did. <laughs> it was, it was, it's totally a Netrunner reference. Cause if you look at the card, easy mark for Netrunner, it's like a student being accosted by some, uh, some people of ill repute. And this is like the Arkham version of that. You know, I can't help but think that someone has an advantage, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, <laughs> War of Protection, level five. What are the icons on this card? It's one wild icon. I two think he's wild got it. icons. Is it two wild? I don't know. I think it's one. I don't know. He chose one, so I'm going to go with two. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, does your cat want to have a guess there, Matt? Uh, hold on one second. Eris, say something. Oh, now you don't want to. Yeah, now she's quiet. Now she's quiet. Congratulations. She is a cat. Uh, <laughs> the icons are, in fact, uh, a willpower and a, a wild. A willpower and a wild. Huh. Who made this game? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, doing good. We've got three, well, technically four questions left in case there's a tie or in case I want to ask a fourth mysterious question that I didn't pre plan. Um, in the survivor card on your own, what is he wearing? He's wearing overalls. Yep. It was that Nate and Matt at the same time? No, it's Nate, Nate and uh, Cameron. Oh, double yeah. points for them. You gotta have them catch up somehow. They're getting killed. <laughs> All right, agency backup. Um, just a cheap little uh, ally to throw out there. Uh, can you name the weapons in the picture? Gun. Oh, shotgun. The guy in the got yeah. The guy in the front definitely got a shotgun. Rifle. I think the rest have handguns. Nate. From Lost in Space, want to throw a guess in there? I'll throw a shotgun. I think one of them has a bar, right? And then the rest have pistols? Well, from what I can see, I see a shotgun in the front and a typewriter uh, to his mm. back right, and that's all I see. Oh, But I, okay. I respect the fact that you all knew there were guns in the picture. That's good. <laughs> oh, it's an agency, right? So. It's the agency. Gotta have guns. You could argue that you're all right because, you know, they're all concealed. Um, second to last question. Well-maintained, my favorite upgrade that has this title, uh, has how many bullets laid out along with the gun parts? Oh what? How do you know that? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess. Uh, I'm going to guess six. I'm going to guess three. Nate, lost in time and space with the victory on that one. Well, technically, it's pretty pretty close game. Lang with two, Nate with three, Matt with three. 
for a final tiebreaker question, uh, there is a certain lead developer of Arkham Horror, the card game, and he has a vehicle. Can anyone name that vehicle? <laughs> what? What kind of question is that? This Am I allowed like to answer this? The garden shears. Uh, any anybody can answer. That's a uh, 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Ah, uh, that is what I have here in my text from you earlier today. Congratulations, <laughs> Matt Newman. Wow, no advantages at all. Oh, I'll send you. I'll send you a mythos. I won here. all on my own. <laughs> I can't help feel that we've been had, Nate. You know, it's comments <laughs> like that. Didn't you? You even sent him a check. Like what? I know. I know. I. I <laughs> Well, obviously it, it wasn't enough. Yeah, I, I tried to auto uh, do it there, and it was just like, uh, no. Um, also, I had told Matt that uh, by being on the show today, I'd deposit $10,000 in his Arkham bank account. I don't know how to tell him that that isn't really a thing, but mm. um, I kind of dropped the ball on that one. I just kind of assumed that it wasn't the thing. <laughs> well... Uh, something that we don't often uh, get to do is have you ask us questions on our side. Was there anything, any burning questions that our listeners might want to know that, that you have questions for us? Sure. Yeah, actually I do have a question for you. Uh, What, what are your favorite, what's your favorite investigator uh, who isn't released? Ooh, that's a good question. Damn, I hadn't thought about that. Wow. That's a good, yeah. Huh? Is there a way to like put a, from like like the IP? soundtrack thing on the background because we'll <laughs> <laughs> probably lily chen cool good good answer she's a fan favorite uh kate winthrop kate winthrop very nice uh roughly a week ago i would have said dexter drake because i really <laughs> from a hat um and I want to see what you do with Monterey Jack in an upcoming novella or whatever the hell he gets released. Cause I can't oh, figure out what, yeah. what campaign he'll go into. But um, I would say I kind of, because I'm a salesman and all kinds of schmoozy mm. and like to roll the charisma mm. die. I'd like to see what you do with uh, the consummate salesman. Is it Bob Jenkins? Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Bob Jenkins. I kind of want to see how that rolls out. So. All right, cool. I will keep those in mind. For the future. Well, very cool. And if people want to uh, catch you on social media, Matt, where can they find you? Uh, actually, I am on Twitter, pretty pretty active on Twitter, uh, with the handle Natsuno Yoru, which I will spell because it's Japanese. Um, it's N A T S U N O Y O R U. And that's pretty much the easiest place to find me. Very cool. Um, so I think that's going to do it for today's interview. Uh, thanks again, Matt, for coming on to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, also, can I can I plug something real quick? Absolutely. Before before we go, um, if, if you are interested, if you uh, if you add me on Twitter, uh, stay tuned because I I'm actually publishing a full fledged novel. Um, hopefully going to kickstart that sometime in the spring or summer. So um, yeah, stay tuned for that. It's going to be awesome. Nice. Very cool. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with today... I'm Man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. 
And this is Nathan, head cultist of the Matthew Newman uh, Secret System. (laughs) Thanks you guys so much for listening.